Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought, how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and arrogant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, when, when I looked at this picture I picked today, it looks like he's a skateboarder doing like a, on a half pipe, but that's not what that is. Okay. That is somebody falling and, you know, disoriented. Uh, when I looked, I was like, that's kind of cool, but it's not supposed to be cool. So if you're thinking it's a skater doing a, um, you know, a double flip or something. That's not what that's going on. Um, but we begin a new sermon series today, and um, that will go, I think, I'm, I'm working through it still, um, until probably February of 2020. And um, this sermon series <clears throat> is tailored, if you know, want to know, from a study um, that our community group is currently doing, and Kelly and I are being mentored um, through called Sonship. And the gospel-centered study series um, 
many of you have gone through in the men and women's Bible studies. Um, it's also incorporated, I don't know if you knew this, in the opening part of our Christ Center Church 101 class. And those are what I would you know, describe as sonship-based lessons. Just so you know, and I'm going to go through a little bit more of the history of it and all this stuff and um, some of the hang-ups with it that some people have um, on, at first week on Wednesday as I am kind of doing this one, the first sermon before I actually do the introduction to this sermon series um, on Wednesday, and I'll get deeper into um, what this is all about. But it is a discipleship method that seeks to empower and engage believers and non-believers in the deep but basic truths of the gospel. A gospel which defines and describes us in our spiritual adoption to be sons. Yes, women too. And we'll get into what that means. Sons of God through Jesus. What I want you to know as we go through this sermon series is that we, that's all of us, me included, we're on a journey, right? And um, I'm welcoming you to be part of the journey that I'm constantly on, right? That I want you to continue on, one that I want you to join me in, right? Where we desperately need to be constantly reminded of our identity in Christ. To have the gospel, Christ-centered faith and belief be foundational and fundamental to all we are and do and all we fail to do and be, right? So some of us have built a foundation of faith. And if you know about pouring, I've learned a little bit about pouring concrete. If you don't have the right mix in there, cracks can develop, right? But you don't go back and get a new kind of foundation. The same stuff that's built the original foundation, you go back and you remix it and you patch it and you begin to mature um, it. And so I, I want to do that for us as believers. And, um, and let me tell you, um, we have been doing our share of failing and struggling and doubting in this church, in our individual lives as Christians. And what we must recognize, though, is that we are only able to be and stay believers and keep believing because of something stronger than even our ability to believe. Right? It is all about God's ability, the Lord's ability and love for us to hold us, to keep us, to give us and fill us with his grace. But we forget that, right? We've forgotten that. Some of us don't even know that. Our psalm today accurately describes the struggle of living as a believer in a world where it is easy to fall off, where it is easy to stumble and slip to begin to live gracelessly. There are three symptoms of slipping into graceless living the psalm makes us aware of. If you want to write these down, first, discontentment. Discontentment. Second, self-righteousness. And finally, unbelief 
or what I'd also describe as a lack of faith, right? Look at what causes the psalmist to be dragged and slip into the discontentment of graceless living. It says envy, envy. Verse one through three says this, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Envy is interesting. It's a heart thing, right? It begins right here. It begins inside as something in your gut, right? It drives your eyes to look. It, 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 it's like having your heart put glasses on your eyes. So the way you see things is based on how you actually feel about yourself. Envy is all about hunger and thirst and desperation and pain and emptiness leading you to look for worth in other lives to find worth in yourself, measuring your circumstances and situations by looking at and comparing how much or how little or how long or how short or how popular or how pretty or how happy. And, and those measurables we see in the lives of other people or hear this, the life that is not our own or not like the disappointing one we have is what envy could be described as. Another word for envy is zealous. Driven, right? That you and I have become driven to live life to escape our disappointing circumstances. To escape the mess we are in and, and put ourselves in to live like and, and be like those you see who are not so burdened like you are. Or like verse 20 alludes to, right? The dream Y'all, some of y'all like to call that the vision of your life, the destiny of your life, right? In some churches and some self-help books will say it is a good thing to be focused on your dream and your destiny. But sometimes we have a dream that we're jealous of, right? A dream of the life you see, the happy you living, right? Even being envious or jealous of who you should or could be. And it makes sense. If in comparison, like the psalmist, if you are poor and not prosperous right now, right? It's easy to look at. It's easy to get real green, if you will, with envy. And you're feeling the, the pangs of death and everyone is living free. Or if you are feeling unhealthy in your body or, or just like verse five says, having troubles or feeling like a nobody, feeling like a failure, can't get ahead or lacking confidence, just oppressed. And I want to level with you. The psalmist is right there with us. The struggle is real. It's real for you. He isn't saying, man, I really feel poor. Man, I really am not fat and slick and sleek. And... No, I really am unhealthy, right? He's feeling it. This is not just a dream. This is a direct hit to your mind and heart and soul in your circumstances and situations and that stuff hurts and it makes you feel disappointed with your life. Not, the, not in the right life, right? That things aren't right in your life. It makes you feel discontent and envy. Goal setting based on what others seem to have driven by that discontent and disappointment fills you with drivenness of I ain't going to not be happy. 
right? You've said this to yourself. There are times you wake up, you don't pray. I've woken up and I'm saying, I'm not praying today. I'm just tired of not being happy, right? I want to be that. Right? And maybe I'm even looking at somebody. I'm just looking at the picture of Howard, no longer struggling, no longer being poor, no longer dealing with the same stuff. I'm going to be happy. I've even said that the people I love, my wife, my kid, I'm going to be happy. I don't care what y'all do. I'm happy. Right? And, and we say, I'm tired of financially struggling or stuck with this drag of the way our marriage is going or the way the kids are acting. And I want what I think they or others or imagine I can or should have joy and happiness and freedom from brokenness or at least my kind of brokenness. I'll take their kind of brokenness, right? Money can't make you happy? Try me, God. (laughs) The rich man can't sleep at night? I'll have a few sleepless nights and a few happier days, right? I won't sleep in my plane or my Bentley or something. I have a hard time. That's all right. The psalmist says, I want that, right? But it isn't that simple because especially if you're a believer, but even if you're just like a bottom line agnostic, Okay, discontentment does not stop with being disappointed and discouraged with your life. But the psalmist is saying you're ultimately disappointed with the Lord. Look at what he says here in verse 12. After describing the prosperity of of people around him and how he's struggling in verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked. These are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches, all in vain. Have I kept my heart clean like I'm living right for God and washed my hands in innocence for all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Do you hear that? The psalmist is saying to God, Lord, I'm disappointed in you. And what the result of living life with with and for you, things are too difficult and have, as he says here, have become burdensome by how you, God, you, God, not me. You said you're running things, right? So I'm holding you accountable by how you have decided to do things and not do things and not change things. I'm tired of this and I'm tired of you. I'm tired of trying to convince myself As he says, it's burdensome, it's wearisome. I'm tired of trying to convince myself that it's better to be a believer. Sometimes you got to wake up and say, I'm glad to be a Christian, really? And and somehow, trying to convince yourself that somehow God is working on it and working it out, he's working it out, y'all. And to just trust and obey, look where it's gotten me and look at where other people are compared to me. Look at where my life I have compared to the one I thought you were going to help me get and the person I thought you would make me. Man, God, please. And then I think, one thing that's very clear to me here is that the psalmist is even saying, things just ain't just. Evil people get away with it. People who cause my life to have a hard time. And I've been now, talking to some folk lately about where, um, and I, I, you know, we're a multi-ethnic church. I get this, but I, my people, okay? I'm going to talk about my people. It's a big struggle for African-Americans. 
It's getting worse. Who struggle when it comes to evangelicalism and Christianity. Walking away. Why? It ain't working. Where's the justice? Why are things getting worse? Why, am I, why is the wealth gap still the same? Why am I still a suspect instead of a prospect? Why am I still afraid if I get stopped by the police? Why is it that, that most of the people that say they believe in God go vote the other way than I do? And I'm not trying to make a statement about voting. I'm just saying, why is it that I feel so separate? Why is it that the books people hand me and they say, hey, you got to read this. This guy really gets the gospel, but he don't get me. Why are the most prosperous Christian organizations, they don't care? Why? There's got to be something different in the foundation of our belief. We're disappointment in our lives and then disappointment with God doesn't cause us to walk away. And it's happening. Man, the, is, the Hebrew Israelites, man, black folk just run into that. <laughs> Changing their name and all. Don't even know how to speak Hebrew. Right? But it just seems better. There seems justice over there. The Jehovah Witness, Nation of Islam, that was bigger in the 90s. Wearing the big African medallions. I'm just... I, I know we ain't all black church, but I just got to tell y'all, it's a struggle. Now, what is it for you? What is it for your people? What is it for your generation? What is it for your neighborhood? What is it for your culture that makes you say, this ain't right? And the reason it's hard to keep going is not because things are wrong. We live in a fallen world, but the foundation necessary, right, to, 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 to allow God to lead you is disintegrating. It can't take the weight. It's easy to be discontent. The psalmist builds a pretty good case, doesn't he? For his disappointment with the Lord and discontentment for his life. In verse 3, the psalmist says what he saw, when he saw the prosperity, he saw the prosperity of the wicked. His eyes could see it, y'all. There was no doubt. They had a bigger bank account. Things were better for them and wicked. You know, for the wicked, while he was broke, oh, Mr. God, Mr. Jesus, Mr. Church, he's broke and he's made awareness of his brokenness. Wickedness, I looked it up, it means wicked. It's such a wicked word. Wicked is a wicked word. Think how it sounds wicked. It's just wrong. Wicked means ungodly, immoral people. But combined with word, the word prosperity, you know what it means? People who are doing just fine living without or parallel to the Lord. They doing good. They ain't suffering. Some of them have no sicknesses. And I do it all the time. I try to find something that says they something wrong with them, right? I'm trying. If the house is big, if the car is nice, I'm thinking they ain't happy. Maybe they are. <laughs> the, the psalmist is saying, in, in fact, the word prosperous means, you know what the word prosperous means? I looked at it. At peace. They are unbothered. They're doing bad all by themselves and loving life. 
Here's what the psalmist is saying. Deep down, we are jealous. We are envious that some people appear to be living happy and at peace on their own terms, that they and their happiness and their vision for themselves get to be the center of their lives and it is working for them. They seem to be experiencing more or just as much righteousness as believers. Self-righteousness is working right and quite well for them while we believers, let's be honest, it gets old having to live desperate, right? Here comes Pastor Brown. He's going to talk about how we sinners, right? We, Jesus, I come all broken up, right? It gets old, right? Sometimes seeing ourselves as sinners and, and former slaves to sin and struggling and needing and dealing with the same old stuff inside, stuck looking to and resting on God to secure us with prayer and then waiting for it in our marriages and our finances and waiting for him to finally make us accepted, accepted and looking for acceptance and healing. I mean, look at how pitiful ver- believers look in verse 23. Nevertheless, right? And this sounds like we, we praise God when he got to this part. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. But think about what it's saying. Nevertheless, I continue with you. You hold my right hand. You know what it's saying? As you look at the whole psalm, believers in God are like bully children. Right? Compared to the rural. We're like the non-confident kids. We too scared to go into daycare school without our parents holding our hands. We've decided life's too hard. I need God to hold my hand, right? Have to continue to be with their father, God. He has to hold their hands, have to always get counsel on everything. How much you get tired of asking a Christian something and what they say, let me pray about it. Come on, y'all. Pray about it? You can't make your own decisions. I mean, when you pull this whole thing together, we're supposed to be children of God. And we getting bullied and whipped every day. Sometimes we look like the weak, sickly kids of the absentee parent. That we are unloved or uncared for. These sentiments aren't new. They're thousands of years old. Look. It ain't so, some new thing. Well, you know, I'm depressed and blah, blah, blah. No. It's thousands of years old. It is part of broken humanity to feel this way. You know, it seems like you're the kid waiting longest after school. You remember you had to wait for mom after school or daddy? Had to wait for them to get off work. Everybody else, mama, there early. It's cold, you out there. Ain't no cell phone back then. Ain't no beeper, nothing. You just got to trust. You... The principal, the last one, looking at you, it's happened to me. Maybe your school on the wrong side of town because you had to go to that good school. So mama had to drive extra long to get you. That's how it feels sometimes as a Christian. God says, you wait. <laughs> what? Look at everybody else. They're moving on. I'm waiting and praying. I'm the good kid. I ain't even staying after for detention. I'm just staying after because you ain't here yet. (laughs) Seemingly forsaken. So deep down, we want to run our own lives. Our way. Self-writing. Right? Self-writing. 
self-goodness, without needing this struggle, struggling as you go tiring and oftentimes disappointing relationship with God. Where the same stuff is holding you down, where the same sins are beating you up, where the same problems keep coming back, where you can't escape your guilt for just not being good enough for, a God, for God or yourself and others. And the psalmist is saying, regular people without God are living the human dream, independently happy and free and at peace, and not worrying whether they're being good or godly. They just act and have the freedom to just make things work without some God or community to please. Just talking about it sometimes make just making me jealous, you know, like, that'd be nice if it would work out like that. And so it makes sense that the psalmist's feet want to go a different way. Verse 1 through 3 says this. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled my steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You know what these verses are saying? The living as a believer, one who walks believing God as good, is good and has a pure heart. You know, it means that you're, uh, the one walking with God is good, has a pure heart, as verse one says. They're not cynical. Yeah, right, God's gonna deliver you. Right, that kind of, new Christianity thing we do, or disappointed or ungrateful that that road, you know what it's saying, is a narrow road, not normally or regularly traveled or basic, it's basically impossible to have a pure enough heart not to stumble or slip on that road. Because it's not just the route you take. I mean, the Bible tells us that it's a narrow way, that the, the way of the gospel is narrow. Why? Not because the route is narrow. Let me tell you what the world has. People who don't walk with Christ, they got an eight-lane highway. They even got the, the carpool lane, right? The gospel is saying, come this way. Like, let's take the dirt road, right? That ain't good for your car. Right? It's not good for ease. So it's saying the, the, the way of the cross, the way of the gospel, the way believers are being called to walk, what is the word, is more treacherous to your personal sense of righteousness and prosperity. Make you want to be saved, don't it? But it's not just the route is hard, but how and who you take the journey with it's talking about. See, when the Bible talks about walking the path and with God, walking straight down the path, straight doesn't mean straight as in easy. I think we got that confused. I want the straight and narrow path. That's easy. No, the straight and narrow path is not easy. This is what the psalmist is saying, right? Straight. Doesn't mean easy, just go forward. Straight means in line with the Lord. That you and the Lord are straight. Right? With each other. That you and the Lord are good with each other as you walk. Sometimes straight with the Lord is I'm walking with God. I'm walking in the spirit, right? But 
It's a twisty and often rocky and hanging right on the edge kind of cliff path. It is not assuming that it will be easy, especially as this world and all its curveballs press on, on one side of the path and the world is a highway and the gospel life is a back dirt road that, that's bad again for your prosperity and dangerous sometimes for your body and your personal goals. So the psalmist naturally, I said naturally, is looking for a way to negotiate having to walk a path straight with God, right? We all do it. We want to self-write the difficulties of living this world with a Lord that we aren't always straight with. Look at verse 10 with me. Therefore, his people turned back to them and find no fault in them. And this is God's people. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? He see us suffering. He see us struggling. He's saying live by faith. But when we live by faith, sometimes the plate is still empty. Behold, though these are the wicked Right? Always at ease, they increase in riches all in vain. Have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence? For all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, listen, it seemed to me a wearisome task. The psalm is saying, I'm tired of trying to make this whole religion thing make sense. I'm tired of trying to make it work by staying good and true and all believing. And God, I think you caused this. You really set up a pretty janky religion. You ain't God. We got to live like this. And you ain't running my life as the God you said you were. If I'm always struggling, if I'm struggling to have joy, when I come to church and I'm jealous of people raising their hands because I'm mad <laughs> and not getting what and how I wanted and what it seemed like you were promising me, man, some of us came to faith. I did. When I came to God, I was thinking, woohoo, my life is going to be good now. And it started out good, y'all. Right? And in one of these books I read, one of the Bible studies, it says, you know, you, you think you only got a couple of things to get over. And then like, oh, when I became a Christian, I was telling everybody, man, you got to come to Jesus. He's great. It's awesome. Because your view of sin was small. <laughs> you thought you weren't that bad. And then you thought life wasn't that bad. And then as you grow, life got bad. And God was disappointing. I've done the right thing. I know y'all's story, some of y'all. Some of y'all been walking with the Lord a while. You did the right thing. You, 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 you were witnessing and evangelizing for God in college. Mm-hmm. On the beach, in the dorms. Mm-hmm. You, you know, whatever, traveling the world. I went to church. I did the right things. I sang the songs. I tithed. I even offered and tithed, 
right? I read the devotional books. I had quiet time. I took the Lord's Supper. I did all the good things and bad things are still happening. And so little of the good miracles and bliss you promise has come, has not come. I feel like a loser. There has to be a better way. As the psalmist says in verse two, he began to stumble and slip away from the Lord into his own way of getting right. And guess what? Our lives are filled with little ways that we're trying to get right and make it right on our own. You know what slipped means? It means poured out. It means poured. Like living life poured out. Like water finding the path of least resistance. To have life be ubiquitous, right? To, 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 to my happiness and feeling and desire to feel better and good about myself. That my life doesn't have a law, as verse 24 describes. Guided by God's counsel or laws or calling. My marriage has become too wearisome. My financial struggles have become too burdensome. And difficult according to the road rules of the gospel, my sexuality, man, God, just let it flow. Can I just pour it out and see where it goes? Why did you make it so hard? My beauty, my body, my dreams, I want out, I want more. I'm ashamed and discontent, disappointment and feeling dry. So I step out right? I, I slip away. I, some of us live a dual life. We, we walk away. We, we live and walk according to our self-righteous. We put on appearances. We wear a mask to get in and fit in and fool others and yourself, right? We're poured out in, in our character where we're slippery, where we're chameleons, where you fix the uncomfortableness and disappointment with a straighter path to pleasure and happiness and ease and freedom and relief and passion and peace than the one we're walking being in in straits with the Lord is taking you. It's a shame. Christianity's just become a Sunday thing. Where you just live on moral instinct. You hear that? Moral instinct where you just kind of figure out what's bad or good as you go. I don't like that. That don't feel good. I'm not doing it, right? You just kind of slip. You just pour out. You, th th there's no standards. You're just doing what you want to do. Uh, what, what, you, you live life on moral instinct and your own good decisions according to your fears, according to your feelings, according to your emotions, according to your passions, chasing after happiness. And look how the psalmist describes that kind of living in verse 21. Look at this. So he's tired, burdensome, disappointed with God, and so decides to do life his own, right? Either being good the way he want to be, being bad the way he want to be, but he can't trust this grace living thing. It ain't working. So this is what it says. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Now, I got to be careful here. Because in the world today, when you beast, that's positive. Right? Man, you beast. Boy, I like that. You at the gym. Man, you beast. Yeah. Right? You, you know, you, you in beast mode, right? You, you're going to eat doing all this, right? But here, beast mode's not a good thing. You know, my dad, when I would get out of line, 
He'd always hit me with this one. Howard, why are you acting like a monkey? Okay, maybe it was a little abusive. I don't know. <laughs> but the psalm says acting like a beast, right? My mom used to say, don't act like a cow. You know how I get you, these profound statements? And he would look at me. We'd be in the car, right? And maybe, and it's always at the right time when your heart is all soft. He comes and pricks it like the, like the Bible is saying, picking you up from detention or something, right? Or, or getting some, well, I used to have to do the smiley face and the sad faces, and I would have the same critique every time. Howard Brown was talking. Okay, so, and some sad face. And he would look at it. Howard Brown was talking. Howard, you a monkey? No, Daddy. I know monkey. But why are you acting like a monkey? Daddy, I don't know. <laughs> now, we always associate that with acting up. Being wild, not being moral. Just walk driven by your passions and staying alive, not being human. But do you know what else beasts and brutes do? They perform. Right? They do all the right things to be accepted and kept. You know, they change masters depending on what and who is feeding them. They are behavioral, right? Not relational because of pain, because of fear of death, because of a whip, because of a prod, given a snack or a reward. The psalmist is saying, not only was I trying to do and live life wild and not straight with God, things between me and God were just behavioral. How many of y'all just, how many of y'all just live in behavioral? Just checking the boxes. Like some kind of, I, the monkey, I remember, well, I don't, y'all might be too old, young to remember this, but we used to have a monkey, he used to come and get the coins out your hand, remember that? And a dude used to, <laughs> Pastor Brown, how old are you? You're around during Barnum and Bailey? Yes, okay. And a guy would do the little thing, and we used to have a little monkey that walked out, gave you the coin, and brought you back, right? But the monkey was getting the coin because the guy owning the monkey was giving him something. And sometimes our relationship with the Lord has become beastly, not because you're acting crazy, but because you're just going through the motions. You're just trying to get something from God. You, you just have a transactional relationship with God. You go do the right things, right? God gives you a snack, right? And if God don't give you the snack and you act up, then you just get whipped. Pow! Now you act right, right? This is graceless living. Just performing. Just doing the right things. And you see where it got the psalmist? Hey, I kept my hands clean. I did the right things. And guess what? After I did all the right things, after I performed perfectly, after, Lord, I, I went and got all the coins for you, after I let you be my master, you know what, God? I became a beast of burden for you. Like, Lord, I let you ride me through life down into the dark. You know what that led him? To disappointment with God and his relationship with the Lord. Performance will always end in emptiness. 
where you're not a person alive in personal trusting relationship with God. You're just mechanical. You know, this came up like, where's y'all's joy? Where's the joy? Are you joyful before the Lord? Man, look. I, I remember one time we, we, you caught me, Kelly, and I still feel very insecure as a result. At the Clemson game, right here, Bank of America Stadium, and one of our wide receivers broke open. And I'm like, oh my gosh, here's a touchdown, right? I had all orange looking like a fool. And I went, oh! And Kelly said, Howard, you screamed like a girl. <laughs> and he caught it and he scored, and I kept screaming like a girl. <laughs> Not a woman, a girl, y'all. It's joy. It's joy. Where's our joy? You know why you're performing? You know why you're just a beast? You're disappointed. And so many of us, let, let me wrap this up. Here, right here, we're just beasts, ignorant and angry and bitter because things ain't right at home. Because the intimacy between you and your, your spouse ain't there. Our bodies are getting fat and breaking down, some of us. Your kids and parenting has gotten away from you. You're not progressing the way you thought you should in your job and finances. You're getting old, too old. And the faith, Christianity, and all that has gotten dry, just worrisome, trying to be and do all of this church stuff, trying to perform and be righteous and holy. And so, yes, when we get to that place, we might be discontent and might be self-righteous in our living, installed in our faith and belief. But guess what? We are not done. Do you see the key words in verse 2? Almost. Ooh. Nearly. Y'all say almost. almost. Say nearly. nearly. The psalmist, you and me who belong to the Lord, almost and nearly stumble and slip and fall to being lost to the Lord forever. But we didn't. And we won't because the Lord you have let go or lost or stalled in your faith and belief will be and will continue to be faithful to you. Do you see where this ends up at every turn? Turn in the Psalm, verse 16 and, and 17 said this, but when I thought how to understand all this, it seemed to me a worrisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then look at verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked and hard, I was brutish and ignorant, I was like a beast uh, towards you. Nevertheless, I continually, I am continually with you and hold, and you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are, who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, hear this, it is good to be near God. 
I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Now, a lot is going on here, but do you see what is happening? The psalmist is not saying he caught himself. He's not saying, I pulled myself together. He says he nearly slipped to his spiritual demise. But God, in verse 23, nevertheless, the scripture says, nevertheless, right? Nevertheless, that means even when I acted unfaithfully, God was faithful. God could have looked at everyone having a good time too and said, hey, look, I'm God. I'll be justified to have a good time. Forget these people. As he does with the evil folks in verse 18 and 19, he could jettison and rid himself of us for acting so ungrateful and disrespectfully. But the Bible says, nevertheless, the one who made us is God the Father and he will not shuck his love for us because we are struggling with our lives and love for him. Do you see that? In both places in verse 16 and 17 and then in verse 24 and 28, you see these words, sanctuary and glory and refuge. Sanctuary, glory and refuge. The Bible is teaching that God brings those of us who are struggling in our lives and faith not to the proving ground, not to the performing place, but to the place and into places with him for those whose strength has failed them, who are susceptible and struggling and broken and sprained and hurt and in pain and even disappointed with him. He protects and preserves us and restores our faith by bringing us in, not turning us out. If we are his, he doesn't let the road of our doubts and fears and anger lead us to the inevitable peaceful road to destruction. But where the Bible says to glory, to pure hearts, to the hospitality of his grace and into the place of his presence and power for living life joyfully. You ever seen a child act up in a store? <laughs> Your own child? Don't lie. I've seen y'all. I watch YouTube. They got some of y'all on video. You don't even know. Some child about to run into the streets. I remember we went out to dinner with our friends, the Stones. We were in Atlanta. We were leaving the restaurant. Things had awfully got, obviously gotten tiresome and burdensome and depressing for the little boys. Because, you know, parents, they talk so long. And as soon as the older boys ran out towards the car, all free, little Brandon, probably now a junior at Georgia Tech, started running towards the road in his ignorance and arrogance following the other boys. And his dad, his father Joe, snatched him. Nevertheless, right? Held his right hand, even strong-armed him back, and then he broke his heart. He said, Brandon, you want to die, son? <laughs> you don't see them cars? He pulled him back from the happiness of the other kids. And he hugs him. And what he was saying, son, I don't want to lose you. And I won't lose you. I'm your father. And as long as I am near you, and I am, I will not let you go where even you think is best for you and happier for you. Little Zachary, now big Zachary. I'm sorry, Zachary is his other brother. Sorry, I changed kids. <laughs> Thank you. Little Brandon, now big Brandon, is like verse 28. He's glad that his father is near him. 
but even more than that is glad and sees it as good that he is near his father that holds his hand and snatches him back. Grace-filled living is about knowing and experiencing God who nevertheless will hold your right hand when you want to slip. He's a God that you can't outbeast, who feeds your heart with his love when you want to melt or explode inside and be a father who is your refuge when these thoughts come to combat your faith. He will be your sanctuary. We need a place to see and meet and remember and experience him in all his holiness. We long for a grace-filled living where we enjoy can say, whom am I in heaven? Whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you, y'all. You know, it's funny. He says he has made God his refuge at the end of this psalm. I've actively moved to make God my refuge and my testimony, the story of my life. This is the journey we're on. We're we're dealing with a lot of things. We're fighting with a lot of things. Do you see God as your refuge? Your sanctuary? Your hand holder? Whenever you see descriptions like sanctuary, refuge, hand-holding, being near to God portion, these are all ways to describe Jesus. God come in the flesh. You almost, I said almost, and nearly slipped and stumbled. But on the cross, Christ completely slipped and stumbled in our sin to his death so that nevertheless we won't be lost. We'll continue to journey. Some of the things I'm mentioning here just surface and we'll get deeper into that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. It's easy to slip. We're so discontent. We're burdened by real stuff. Thank you for the almost, Lord. Thank you for the nearly. Thank you for the nevertheless. Thank you for being faithful. Some of us are ready to walk away. Walk away from the faith, walk away from relationships. Walk away from trusting you. Trying to get right. Trying to feel right. Thank you for holding our hand. Lord, and the more we recognize how much you hold our hand, and the less we recognize how great we are, Lord, we believe you will increase our joy. Increase the joy of your people. Increase the worship And let us be filled again and again and again with your grace. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.